This is episode 16 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Dr. Jamie Fisher. Uh, Dr. Fisher received her PhD in speech-language pathology from Vanderbilt University. She is an SLP and clinical instructor with SA Swallowing Services and works at various hospitals, subacute care facilities, and rehab facilities. Dr. Fisher holds her ASHA C's and an endorsement for endoscopy practice and is a certified fees trainer in Tennessee. Dr. Fisher is an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland's College Park and Tennessee State University. She has over 10 years of experience as an SLP and her clinical interests include speech, language, dysphagia, fees, and working with patients requiring tracheostomy and mechanical ventilation. Dr. Fisher is the creator and director of Preparing SLPs for Tracheostomy and Ventilator Patient Care Training Course. Now, this episode is actually not about <laughs> trach and vent. Uh, that episode will be airing in another week or two, but this episode is actually about keeping it real, expanding and transitioning to being a medical SLP the right and ethical way. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Hi guys, I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I did, I got to stay home. I had lots of family in town, but it was really nice to relax and unplug for a few days and of course be grateful for all the wonderful things we have in this world and this wonderful profession that I love so much and I love sharing with all of you guys. And with that said, I don't have an iTunes review of the week to read this week because I can't get my iTunes to work. So. That's life. So in in place of that, I'll just tell you all how grateful I am for all of you for tuning into this. We have over 160,000 downloads of the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I don't even, I can't comprehend that number, but that's totally cool. So thank you again to everyone for tuning in and sharing this with all of your friends and leaving the reviews that you do and keep coming back and listening every week. And I'm really pumped with a lot of the people I've got lined up for the next couple months to come on and talk with you guys and I really am you know taking all of your your emails and your requests into consideration and trying to prioritize them as such so so bear with me there's lots of cool stuff coming up so everyone keeps asking me how I have the time and the energy to keep doing all of these podcast episodes and I I want to tell you guys I do have an entire team of people behind me that are helping me with this I'm eternally grateful for all of the talents that they bring to the table And that is also why we do have these little advertisements and affiliates uh, that we have going on. Those people help to sponsor the podcast and help to keep it free for all of you guys. So um, I hope that you will help to support these, these sponsors, these advertisers. This is the last week, the last week for this MedBridge promo for the free upgrade to the premium plan, which... The premium plan gets you those patient handouts, that home exercise builder that I'm totally obsessed with, great images, great diagrams. Your patient gets a login access and also access to the app. Um, And then, of course, just, I mean, the tons and tons of courses by all the awesome researchers in our field, awesome clinicians in our field. So the last week, take advantage of that. 
that uh, free upgrade to the premium plan. That offer is expiring on November 30th. So this is your last week. Take advantage of that. Go to medbridgeeducation.com. Click on speech language pathology. Click on the premium plan and then type in promo code SYP. So that plan's usually $320 per year, you guys. And it's only, they're giving it to SYP listeners for only 95 bucks. Um, so if you do need CEUs for this year, you can get the rest of your CEUs that way or just hold a membership till next year and work on your CEUs for next year. But the membership is good for one entire calendar year. So uh, with that said, we'll get on to the episode with Dr. Jamie Fisher. Hello, Dr. Fisher. Hello, everybody. And Teresa. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem at all. This has been fun. I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to the podcast as a listener, so I'm excited to be on as a speaker. Yeah, thank you. We're happy to have you. So this is Dr. Jamie Fisher, and I'll, I'll let you kind of tell a little bit more about yourself, but you've got a unique background in that now you you work for SAS, SA Swallowing Services, just like the beginning 9,000 people on the podcast, <laughs> um, but you actually came from a background of child language as well. Is that right? I did. I did. I started out with children, peds, and I never, ever wanted to do the gross work that I do. And here yeah. I am doing it. <laughs> I did. I um, actually got the opportunity to work on a trach vent unit. Well, actually, it wasn't necessarily an opportunity. I like to say I got dragged into it, actually. <laughs> While I was working on my PhD, I had a girlfriend that said, hey, we really need some help in our trach vent unit, somebody to come in and really, really help us out. And we kind of need somebody that, you know, not to toot my own horn or anything, but somebody that uh, diligently works and kind of smart can pick up these skills. And I told her, absolutely not. I don't want to do that gross stuff. I was like, suction, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't want to do any of that. And she was like, well, you know, we'll train you. We'll get you what you need. And, you know, you are a broke kind of graduate student, still, aren't you? <laughs> Then when I looked at it that way, I was like, yeah, I am broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I told her, as long as you train me and give me the, you know, we go through the education and do what needs to be done, get me where I need to get. I said, let's try it out. And I did what needed to be done. I tried it out and I actually fell in love with it, shockingly. That's and I've great. been doing it ever since. Been working with Trick Invent, got more educated and got more skills with dysphagia, including adding on fees. And I've been doing it ever since. I never would have thought in my life that I would like this gross stuff, but I do. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. Where were you working on your PhD? I was working on my PhD at Vanderbilt University. Okay, in child language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you went right into working with Trach Invent. You didn't never looked back to child language. Well, no, I still do child language even now. I still work with children. I still work with peds. I like to say that I'm a kind of a jack of all trades. There are a lot of things that I love and I've worked really hard to kind of be knowledgeable about. So there are things, skills that I still want to keep up and just want to keep doing because I actually love those things. So awesome. Yeah. All right. So you work for SA Swallowing Services. What else you got going on? I work for SA Swallowing Services. Uh, I've worked as a travel speech therapist at various hospitals, subacute cares, rehab facilities, as well as doing PRN while I'm working here locally in Nashville for SA Swallowing Services at various hospitals, subacute care facilities, rehabs. So I keep my hands in a little bit of everything. All right. So we'll talk more in depth about it later, but what's the course that you just created? 
Oh, yes. So in doing my whole trach and bent journey, when I first, first started, even though the training that I received was really, really good, the way that they had it set up for me to be trained was great. But before I even received the training, I was kind of looking for something to prepare me for that training. And there were a lot of good things online, but I really wanted something that was kind of hands-on that could really, really get me prepared so that when I go in, I kind of already know what to do. I just need to be trained, supervised to do it. And there, in my search, was nothing like that. So over the years, I started to think about this a little bit more, and I was like, there could be something out here for other people that are looking like me, something out here for them to get prepared for working with tracheostomy and ventilator patients. So I kind of worked on my course and developed it. I tried it out at a small conference and it got rave, rave, rave reviews. So people had talked to me a little bit later about it and said, you really need to make this an all day course. This could be a whole training course in and of itself. So I worked on it for a couple of more years, and then I put it together and created the Preparing SLPs for Tracheostomy and Ventilator Patient Care Training Course. And so we actually did that this past August, and again, it worked out really, really good. We were able to train 32 SLPs, and everything just really, really worked out great. The training includes communication and dysphagia assessment for tracheostomy and ventilator patients. We also had hands-on training where SLPs learned how to place speaking and swallowing valves and multiple types of speaking and swallowing valves. Everybody's pretty familiar with Passimura, but in addition to the Passimura, we also did the Shekinah speaking valve and went over the Shiley speaking valve as well. So got a little really interesting with being able to look at more than one type of speaking valve uh, and work on those placements. We also did it in line on the ventilator, so they had opportunity to do that and really got them prepared and trained for suctioning as well. We include respiratory therapists in our program, and also we do a highlight on NPO status and aspiration pneumonia and oral care, which Dr. Ashford works for our company, and he does that part, which is really, really good for the SLPs to know, especially for working with tracheostomy and ventilator patient care patients. Yeah, and that's when I interviewed Dr. Ashford for episode two, I believe. We mentioned your course and, you know, he just said it was just got received rave reviews. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking how great it would be. Everyone's constantly asking for more trach and vent, more trach and vent, more trach and vent. And then I saw the pictures come out and it was actual a live course where you actually worked on dummies and actually placing the valve. And I was like, oh, how cool. Right. I know you always stressed it's hands-on, but it really is hands-on, like it, with a dummy. <laughs> it truly is hands-on. Yeah. A lot of people are asking, can they do it online? And it's, <laughs> yeah. you have to be there because these are skills that you're going to have to be able to do in person. So you kind of need to learn them there. And another thing about this course, just quickly, is that it's specifically for SLP. So everything that you will learn is not general information. It's information that is specifically for you as the SLP. So that was another thing that I really wanted to do specifically for this course is for SLPs, you're going to learn what you need to do for your job. That's awesome. And I don't think you have any dates solidified yet for 2018. We do not as of yet, but keep checking the SA Swallowing Services website. And we will definitely let you guys know as soon as those dates become available. Yes. And I'll post all these details in the show notes so everyone can keep up to date on where to check the dates. So yes, ma'am. All right. 
So let's talk about, you know, I know a hot topic of yours, something you're super passionate about and you've lived it too. So it's not like you're just judging everyone out there. You've actually lived and breathed it, but I've worked in a school for 10 years and now I'm going to go work PRN at a nursing home this summer. I hear they pay really, really well. What do you think? (laughs) Do you think that's a good idea, Jamie? Well, let's talk about this. (laughs) Okay. I'm gonna have a sip of wine first. This, uh, I, I think I'm gonna get a lecture here, and, and I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a sip of tea. Okay. <laughs> You're the better of the two. <laughs> I'll have my shot later after this is over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but seriously, like you said, I've kind of lived through this life of expanding, transitioning to being a medical SLP, and I just believe that. And I'm I hope I'm not sounding like I'm getting on a soapbox. Uh, I just believe there is a right and a wrong way to do this. When we have our master's degrees as SLP, we are allowed to practice in a wide range of areas and work settings. And I think that's great. I think that we should be able to do that. We're trained to be those general practitioners. However, with being those general practitioners, if we have specialized in one area and we want to transition to another area, again, there's just a right and a wrong way to do it, in my opinion. And thinking about the wrong way, Uh, (laughs) the wrong way is going right in no training no shadowing no experience but just going in and okay I have this degree this degree allows me to practice in that area so I'm just gonna go practice and fake it till I make it and you know trust my gut and just do it you got it (laughs) yeah yeah you got your C's and a pulse you're signed up right right or let me just brush up real quick let me read something real quick the night before let me take a quick CEU online and then I'm done and I'm ready to go in my opinion that's just not the correct way to go about it but that's not to say that you can't transition or that you can't expand your scope. Again, I believe you can do it. I believe you can do it. There's just a right way to go about it. All right. What do you think is the best way to start? What, what should I brush up on? Well, first, don't think about it as a brushing up. Brushing up okay. sounds so quick. Brushing it does. Up just sounds like, let me just read something real quick or let me just you know, take something online real quick, and then I should be able to go in and just get it done. What you really, 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 really have to do is you have to be trained, you have to get experience, you have to get educated and be knowledgeable. Even if you've taken, you know, this course in grad school, if you've taken this course in grad school, but haven't looked at it for 10 years, you still need some education and knowledge in addition to the training and skills, and then you need to get some experience. So all of these things together are what really equal to your competence in being able to assess and treat your patients. Yeah, and I think I think it was Matt that also works with you, Matt Ward, I think, I believe he was on episode five, maybe. And I think he put it best too, is talking about doctors when they come out of medical school, same thing, they have just a general knowledge, you know, they're just a general practitioner, but then they have to go on and specialize in their different fields. Right. You know, you would never see an orthopedic surgeon all of a sudden decide he wants to be a neurosurgeon Mm -hmm. without some, you know, further education. So exactly, exactly. And our patients expect us to be competent. If you're coming in to assess dysphagia or you're coming in to assess whatever it is you're coming to assess, whether you're a medical SLP or education SLP, they expect for you to be competent. And if you haven't practiced in that area since grad school or you haven't practiced at all in that area, but you're coming in to do a quick PRN, how competent are you really? 
and how much are you going to be able to provide adequate assessment and therapy for your patients so how serious do you think this is you know some people really aren't taking it as serious as i think that they should be especially when i look at some of the facebook boards when you see some of the posts that say hey I'm transitioning, I don't have any experience, but I'm going in, what do I need to brush up on? Again, what do I need to do really quickly? Or you see somebody say, I have my first patient, for example, first treatment patient. I have no experience assessing or treating this patient, but what can I read up on real quick to go ahead and get it done tomorrow? It's really serious when you're assessing and you're treating your patients. When you're practicing, you're practicing up under not only your ASHA sees, but you're also practicing up under your state license. And when you're working up under your ASHA sees and your state license, you are following and practicing up under our code of ethics. One of the principles of the code of ethics is that individuals shall provide all clinical services and scientific activities competently, okay? So when you're competent. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at Jamie's notes here and competently is bolded and highlighted and <laughs> underlined, so. <laughs> exactly. So just sometimes you got to step back and say to yourself, how competent am I? If I have to brush up on something real quick or I don't have any experience, but I'm going to try to go in and fake it till I make it. Do you think that you're actually competent? I mean, that's a serious question to ask yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The hard part is, you know, it's like you, you want to give these people credit for, I guess, reaching out on the Facebook boards, exactly. reaching out for help. Exactly. So, you know, we hate to just shame them right away. But on the other hand, it's like, what are you thinking? Right. You know? Right, right. And, and, and I don't want to stop people from asking questions because I think you should ask questions. But at the same time, you got to think about how serious this is because under your ASHA code of ethics, you have when you're practicing with RCs, you have said that you are going to only engage in practices that you are competent at. So even though you're asking this question, you got to step back and ask yourself another question at the same time. Are you competent? Another principle is only, uh, like I just said, only engaging in aspects within your scope of practice that you're competent in, considering your education, training, and experience. That's principle of ethics 2A. So think about that. And also, this one is another important one too, Principal Code of Ethics 3A. Individuals should not misrepresent their credentials, competence, education, training, and experiences. So when you're going in to treat that patient, you're making it seem like you're competent, you're educated, and you're trained, and you're experienced. When in all actuality, you could be misrepresenting yourself if you don't have that education, training, and experience. I have no idea what any of those numbers on that vet mean. Do you think those are important? Right, right. So, or I let me think about deflating this cup and hope that, you know, when I put the speaking valve on, all goes well. Let's see. Let's see. A wing and a prayer. <laughs> so, yeah. and then after I do it, what actually do I need to do next? Let me check back real quick. I don't know. Again, you have to be educated. You have to have the training. You have to have the experience. Because if you don't, when you go in there, you're kind of misrepresenting yourself. And again, that's against going against our principles of ethics up under ASHA. And it looks bad on the whole profession. It, I mean, it does. It truly does. 
Yeah. So as we, you know, as we transition and expand into medical speech pathology, one thing that we really want is to, like with any part of speech language pathology, if we're new, we definitely want to be respected and we want to be taken seriously. And sometimes when we come into this and we don't know what we're doing, we haven't taken out the time to get the training, to get the education and the experience. I mean, we really kind of lose a little bit of that respect and credibility. And that's kind of really what we want, regardless of what area of speech pathology that we're in. We want to be respected. We want to be credible. We don't want people kind of looking down on us because, you know, all of a sudden we just decided to come over into medical speech pathology and we think it's all glamorous and we can just do this without any background. We don't want people to think that about us. We want people to, again, we want to be respected with whatever it is that we're doing in speech language pathology. And we want to be credible to our patients and our colleagues. So I had dinner with a friend tonight, actually, and she at her facility, she, she works for a, a contract company. So she covers like a, you know, a few different facilities and this one new facility she was just assigned to, they, the MD, the doctor, will not allow her to send patients for swallow studies because the hospital that they send them to, every single patient comes back NPO. Wow. He said that they give them like one or two trials and they just come back NPO every time. So, you know, he's very degrading to her. It's, it's an unfortunate situation. But, you know, that's kind of beside the point. But on the other hand someone in this profession has put that, you know, mindset in his head. You know, it's just very unfortunate that someone in our field has misrepresented us so poorly that, you know, it's ruined it for the future SLPs in, in this guy's eyes. Yeah, and that's that's so true. And even with, like we were saying, with expanding and transitioning, that's all it takes is one person to come in and unfortunately not know what they're doing and then someone else that may be, you know, really, really good at what they're doing. They're diligent. They've gotten the education, gotten the training and doing everything that they need to do, but can't get hired because of one bad experience. Exactly. This girl, I mean, she's sharp as a whip. I, you know, I I would trust her to, you know, treat my parents and, and she just can't get a shot because they had such a bad experience with the bad apple before. It's, it's really sad. Right. Right. Yeah, so we definitely want to make sure we're, again, just doing our part to, if we're going to expand our transition to any area of speech-language pathology, but especially medical speech-language pathology, we want to make sure we're on point at all times. Sounds good. So, Agreed. So, again, that's how serious you should really take it. And our state licensure basically says the same thing. I pulled up just the Tennessee one, just as an example, but it says the same thing, that SLP shall perform functions Well, what it says exactly, let me say what it says exactly, exceeding the scope of practice are performing functions which the licensee is not adequately trained for or experienced in may result in disciplinary action. So that's again how serious you should take it. If someone were to report you for any reason and you're not experienced or trained, you can be brought up on disciplinary action, lose your license, and nobody wants that, seriously. So just some things to seriously think about. I keep saying serious. <laughs> That's all right. That's hopefully it drives the point home. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. But yeah, just, and, and in addition to yourself, because we've been talking a lot about, okay, your C's, your license, but again, your patients too. You owe it to your patients to first do no harm and to make sure that you're providing the best care. 
And you got to think about if it were you, if you were the patient or if it were your mom or if it were your dad, you want them to be assessed and treated by somebody who's competent and has the skills and training and experience. So absolutely keep all of that in mind as you're transitioning the right way. There you go. So the right way, you know, I'll just, I'll use myself as an example too. I don't think we've talked about me either, but I, I always thought I was going to work in the schools. I always thought I was going to work with kids and I did my CF in the schools and I was like, oh, hell no, Uh this is not for me, not for me. (laughs) That's good that you found that out early. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And luckily my CF supervisor was like, oh, come, she was moonlighting at the the skilled nursing facility. She's come work with me, come see if you like it. And I was like, I'm no, not going there. Same thing, not not doing that. That's gross. No, not going there. (laughs) Okay, nice to know our stories are similar. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. And she got me to go there. I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. I love these people. I love dysphagia. I love swallowing disorders. And she, I mean, she held my hand through it all. And I think what I want to drive home, and I mean, same thing, not tooting my own horn, but I didn't get paid for any of that. Mm-hmm, right. And I didn't care. Right. You know, I, it was learning something I knew that I had to learn, something that I was passionate about, something that I knew would pay off in the end. Exactly. But I wanted to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. So... I went and worked several nights with her on my own dime. Nobody was paying me to be there, but I did it and I learned a lot and I loved it. And I stepped into a full-time position at a sister facility. So, I mean, it all worked out perfectly, but I can't even imagine like just signing up for something and not having all that experience, especially knowing what I know now. I mean, especially knowing how to work with vent trach patients and how how critically ill some of these patients really truly are and you could be putting them in so much more harm just unknowingly yes ma'am you're so right and i'm so glad you brought up that you did a lot of it on your own without being paid i tell anybody education into the medical side of speech language pathology and also the education side i don't want to seem like i'm bashing or forgetting either one but it's an investment it's a continued investment sometimes you actually will pay out money to be trained and the different things that you need to be trained in. And a lot of times, if somebody is willing and offering to give you some training for free, you will do a lot of it on your own dime. You'll go in and take out your own time in order to be trained in the areas that you need to be trained. So it's an investment. It's an investment of time, effort, and money sometimes to learn the things that you need to learn. But it makes you a better therapist. Those are the really good clinicians the ones that invest in their education, their training and skills. Yeah. And I know it's not for everyone too. And and I don't know your backstory either, but I paid for myself to go to fees training. I did. The I same. paid for myself to go. I paid for myself to get competent. I didn't, didn't expect anyone to do that for me. It was something that I was super passionate about that I knew would pay off in the end. It's paid off a hundredfold. I, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I did it. And I wouldn't even think twice about doing it again, knowing how much it cost me, mm-hmm. you know, totally, totally agree. Totally, totally agree. And I did the same thing. I paid for my own training as well with fees. So you got it. Mm-hmm. You got to invest in your skills. You have to invest in yourself too. I mean, it's a career move. Totally. Let's give some more specifics. What else do you think we can offer? You know, I don't like to just give the right, the right. cheese without the wine. Exactly. So. so let's talk about doing what you should do to do it the right way. Okay. Yeah. And when I say the right way, I don't want everybody to think that we're just so perfect and we just trend. I do. <laughs> <laughs> again, there is a right and a wrong way to do this. And again, it's all about doing what you need to do to be competent. So I told you a little bit about my story and what I did. 
in gaining knowledge, skills, and experience, the first thing that I did that I encourage other people to do is shadow. I shadowed for several weeks. And at the same time, I was working at the facility. I only saw patients which I had experience with. So I had some experience with dysphagia patients, and I had some experience with cognitive patients. So those were the patients that they gave me to see while I was shadowing the SLPs working on the trach and vent unit. I shadowed for quite some time before we even got to the point of me starting the supervised training. Um, I also did lots of education. I did some readings. I did some CEU courses. I did the on-the-job education where they came in and, you know, did different presentations. I was tested verbally and written. I did some hands-on skills. And again, all of this was before they even let me see a patient supervised. So shadowing and education first. Then moving into supervised training. So you're working with the patient, but you're supervised. It's kind of like being in a mini practicum all over again. So you're right there with your supervisor and you're completing your competencies checklist. And you're doing this for a good amount of time before you are let go and and placed on your own independently, okay? So you're demonstrating in that time, you're demonstrating your knowledge, you are doing your assessment, your treatment, again, under an experienced, competent supervisor to gain that experience. And then once they've completed that checklist, they've done their final testing, demonstrating your skills, education and competency, then that's when I was allowed to see patients independently. All right. You know, the, one of the first questions people ask, you know, they say, I'm, I'm starting this job tomorrow. What do you think I should do? And so many people will just jump in and say, is there any type of mentor exactly. they can provide you with? So I think that's, that's like the point that I always like to drive home. You know, sure, you want to pick up some PRN hours this summer. That's totally fine. Is there anybody else there that can serve as a mentor for you? I just hate to hear these people that just take this position and they're the only person there. They have no one there to bounce ideas off of. You need to have someone, like you said, to mentor you and hopefully someone that's there with you the entire summer. Right, you know? right. And they should be at your company should be able to provide that to you. Sometimes we as SLPs, we don't get the training we need. We don't get the, you know, instrumentals we need. Sometimes we don't get the different uh, technology needs or the therapy needs or whatever it is that we need sometimes because we're not asking for it. We have to ask for it and advocate for it. And if they don't give it to us after we ask them for it, we need to provide documentation to show this is why we need it. And I would tell anybody, if they can't provide you with training, if they can't provide you with a mentor to supervise your training, to get you the skills that you need, pull out your ASHA code of ethics, pull out your state licensure and say, listen, I can't do any of this because... This right here says (laughs) that I'm representing myself. This right here says that I can only practice within my scope of practice. Not only ASHA code of ethics, but my state licensure. So when you start talking state license to some of these people, it tends to hit a little harder because we all have to turn in. They have a copy of our state license in their office. It should be posted in the facilities that we work at. So please pull out that paperwork, pull out that information and show it to them and let them know it's that serious that you get me the training that I need if you want me to see these patients competently and effectively. Awesome. 
All right. What are some final take home points to all of this? So final take homes. I just want to let everybody know that again, you can expand and you can transition your scope of practice to the medical SLP side. Just make sure you do it the right way. You can definitely do it. I would never tell anybody that you have to stay in one little box if that's something that you're striving for and something that you want to do. Uh, like I said, I love working with children and I love working on the medical side and I don't want anybody to ever tell me to pick either one because I love doing both. But in both areas, I have to make sure that I'm practicing competently and I have to make sure that I'm doing both things the right way. And even if I decide to expand to another area, which I'm kind of hoping to do, merge two of the things that I love, uh, which is children, pediatrics and fees, hoping to expand to that side of things, I have to make sure that I'm expanding the right way with that. I have to make sure that I'm getting the background training and doing what needs to be done with that. So that's what you have to do. Just make sure you do it the right way. Yeah. Well, just a little shameless self-promotion plug here. <laughs> if, you, if you want to, there's on Facebook, we have the Med SLP newbie group if you want to join that trying to make that a safe space, you know, to help people get mentors and help you find kind of the information that you need. We obviously can't provide it for you, but you might be able to find someone in the group that does know someone in your area to help you out there. Mm -hmm. And then I also, I don't know that I've announced this publicly yet, but in a couple months I have a kind of a medical SLP membership site coming out that's going to help people for this reason, help people that are transferring kind of, I don't want to use the term newbie because some of us have been working 20, 30 years, but wanting to expand to the medical side and get more evidence-based, research-based practice, not just what we've been doing 30 years ago. So nice. keep looking out for that too. Nice, nice. And in addition to what you were saying about finding a mentor, when you're thinking about expanding, transitioning to be in a medical SLP, kind of like what we said before, know that it's going to involve a lot of continued learning. So I'm so glad that you started that medical SLP group as well as the new program that you're starting now. But again, like I was saying, just know that it's a lot of continued learning. It's an investment, time, effort, money. And know that good courses and trainings are going to cost money, but know that they're so worth it. So like you were saying with finding a mentor, some of the best places to find mentors are when you take CEU courses in person. CEU courses online are fine. They're great. I've taken several of them. But I encourage my students when I teach and I encourage people when I talk and they come to my class or just in general, SLPs, take as many in-person CEU courses as you can afford because it can get pricey. But take as many as you can afford in person because you have the opportunity to speak to the speaker, to ask them questions and get live in time feedback. Uh, you also have the opportunity to make connections with the speaker and with other SLPs to network. I just came back from a pediatric fees course in Cincinnati, Ohio. And again, remember, I'm talking about getting training. So I went there to get some training, get some experience. And while I was there, met several other SLPs that I'm planning to go visit and to shadow and to get my experience and to, you know, again, making those connections. Had I not went to that in person and just kind of took something online real quick, then I might not have met those. Well, I wouldn't have met those people. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Take those opportunities, if you can, as much as you can afford to take in-person CEU courses so you can make those connections. 
Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, and first of all, I just want to say I'm so jealous because that's <laughs> something I want. It's definitely on my career bucket list to do is the, the pediatric fees. I My son was in the, when he was born, was in the NICU for 15 days with feeding issues. And it was, it was horrible. It was, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but I yeah. so badly just wanted to scope mm-hmm. and see what was going on. But I mean, I just think of all the babies that, and, and he didn't have an SLP working with him. I mean, I stayed up all night pumping, reading Catherine Shakir, trying to figure out what I was going to do with them. Oh, wow. You know, I just, I wish that I knew more about babies and peds. And and I know there's such a need in the NICU nowadays for for fees. And they're doing some really cool stuff. I mean, they're even doing like breastfeeding with fees. And did you guys learn about that? They they talked a a lot about everything. They talked from everything from infants to uh, toddlers to school-age children all the way up to adolescents. So they awesome. they covered a lot of content. The course was definitely great content wise. So yeah. Um, again, this is the one in Cincinnati, Ohio. I know there's another one coming up in Dallas at Baylor, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So awesome. Is there anything else? Yeah, do uh trainings, as much hands-on trainings as you can get, definitely get with those. And then any certifications that you can get as well. Those are all good things to do for um continuing ed. One last thing I will say is continue to be honest with yourself. I like to say, keep it all the time. Please keep it real with yourself. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah, just take some ethical personal responsibility and be honest with yourself. If you're ever faced with a patient or in a situation where you have to kind of say to yourself, I don't know what I'm doing. I shouldn't be seeing these types of patients until I get the supervised training I need. And I kind of need to refer to somebody else who's competent. Just kind of say that and don't accept right. jobs or positions, again, that don't offer the training or the skills. If then this was something that was kind of said on Facebook uh, in one of the posts where a job said that they would offer the training and they, a couple of weeks it went by, then a couple of months it went by, and then they said, well, because of productivity, we can't offer the training. Uh, no. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> if you said that you, exactly, if you said you were going to offer this training, I need for you to offer the training. So sometimes even before you get the position, you might even want to get them to verify in writing, even via email. This is, we are going to provide you the training. Here's what the training's going to look like. You're going to shadow first, and then you're going to be supervised, and then you're going to do that. Get it, let it be known what the training is actually going to look like, because you, again, don't want to put yourself in a position to misrepresent yourself, be dishonest or, or incompetent to your patients. You want to be the best therapist that you can be. So just make awesome. sure you're doing all of that. And uh, again, have your paperwork ready if need yeah, be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I really like that having a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of times, oh, yeah, we'll find you a mentor. We'll we'll get you trained. I no. feel like that's said a lot. Yeah, exactly. No, what's my yeah. what's my mentor's name? I'd like to contact her. So sometimes you can't you can't rely on that because people will say what they need to say sometimes just to hire somebody and get a body there. Right, just a pulse. Exactly, which is kind of unfortunate, but you know, you you have to make sure that you are doing everything that you can do to provide the best service. So you might have to take the extra effort to find out what it's actually going to be and forcing that company to do what they need to do. Absolutely. And and like we said, there's nothing wrong with saying you don't know. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. But on the flip side, 
be open to the answers that you might get. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I think sometimes a lot of people post these things like I have this patient with, you know, on a, an event tomorrow, what do I do? And people are like, this is not the time to be asking the night before you need to get a mentor. And then people get all crappy because they're like, well, well, that doesn't help me with tomorrow, you know, well, sorry, that's kind of the reality of it. And I don't think any of us are going to encourage someone to go treat a patient on event tomorrow with zero training. You are so you right. Know, so. You are so right. I have told people even on Facebook that you don't sound like you're ready for this evaluation. You need to refer to a more competent SLP. And, you know, some people get upset. Some people are not happy with the answer, but it's the correct answer. It just is. Yeah. A doctor, would you want your doctor assessing treating you and they're not ready? And they're not prepared. They're not experienced. They don't have the education, the skills. It can't happen like that. You need to talk to your facility. And if there is a more experienced SLP there, again, shadow that SLP. Right. Or if they can bring somebody in, shadow that SLP, and then ask them, like you said, mentor me and train me to do what I need to do so that I can do this too. Because you need to be able to do it if you're going to continue to work there and see those patients. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, I just love everything you said, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get down off my soapbox. I feel like you're I'm fine. For a little. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. I mean, it, it needs to be said because people are asking me, people ask constantly, what, what do I do? How do I do it? So I think we actually gave people some really good ways of how to do it the right way. And, and mm -hmm. it's not to just blindly accept a, a position and go. And, and I know we all say those comments drive us nuts when people say, oh, you got this. No, you don't got this. No, like you no. don't know what you're doing. And, and it, it, I know it drives us nuts. Be confident, have confidence in yourself. Well, you can't have confidence when you don't know the information to begin with. So exactly. I'm getting on my soapbox now. Right. But. <laughs> One of the things to say is know thyself and again right. that's Absolutely. taking a step back and just being really really honest with yourself and being honest with what you're what you know you're capable of doing and what you know you're capable of not doing right. uh, fake it till you make it is not great in all instances there are some instances where it probably works out well but <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, gonna say yeah. no for this one. <laughs> when 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 a patient's life is at stake, I I don't think that's the time to fake it till you make it. You I'm know, gonna say no to faking it till you make it for that instance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna get like all sappy now, but I think of like I do this a lot. I mean, like we have our group of friends, we have our circle of friends that we all talk to and hang out with, and I I go through that group of friends and I'm like, I would let him treat my mom, I would let her treat my mom, I would let him treat my dad, and and you want to think that way. You know, and, and not everyone has experience, but I want to, I want the person to work with my family member that knows their limitations. Mm -hmm. And if they don't know this information, they have no problem asking someone else, mm -hmm. reaching out to someone else, getting some guidance, getting some mentorship. That's the person that I want working with, mm -hmm. with a family member. So. Right, right. And not to bring Asha code of ethics back into that, but that just kind of circles back around. Asha tells us that we, as Individuals shall use every resource, including referral source, into interprofessional collaboration when appropriate to ensure that quality of service is provided. So we're actually mandated to use those resources to work collaboratively with others. So we should be doing that by yeah. Co ASHA Code of Ethics. We should be reaching out to other people. We just should. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think we can close this chapter. I think so, too. I think that's great.
think that's good. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.